Hi, and welcome to Jewish Thought Flow's Friday Conversations. This week, we will be discussing morality and whether morality can exist without a God. Now, Avi, before we start, I just want you to give a brief introduction. How would you define morality? What are we talking about exactly? So, I think the only... Now, anybody can define it any way, right? So, if, if, if I try to define it a certain way and you say, well, I don't like that definition, um, you can't start a discussion if you don't know what the goal of the discussion is. What are we trying to find out? What are we trying to uh, figure out if this action is falls under a certain category? You have to figure out what that category is. So when I say morality, what I mean is right and wrong. Should, absolutely should do or absolutely shouldn't do. Meaning the part of us that I can go to somebody and say, you just did the wrong thing. You should not do that. Or you really should do this. This is the right thing to do. So that absolute sort of standard of that was wrong, this is right, this makes you bad, this makes you good. That's what morality is. What do you mean when you say you're using the word absolute? Yeah. I assume you're using that purposefully. What do you mean by absolute right and wrong versus if you would have just said right and wrong? So right and wrong could mean um, things relative. So for example, uh, the right way to open up a soda can um it depends what you mean. The most efficient way, objectively, the most efficient way to open up a soda can is you pop open, you know, you use the little opener thing and you pop open where they already cut out the circle and you make a nice circle opening so that you don't hurt your mouth. So you can say that's the right way to open up a soda can. What you mean by right way to open up a soda can is most efficient, safe, or as manufacturer intended, right? Um, that's what we mean, the right way to open up a soda can. If I say it's objectively the right way to open up a soda can, that makes less sense because who said it's wrong to open up from the side? The manufacturer? Why do I care what he says? Why is the right way to open up a soda can defined by what the manufacturer said I should do it as? So right and wrong can mean many different things on many different levels. Uh, what's the right way to play baseball? It depends what you mean by right way. Right way vis-a-vis -vis the rules, then of course, is a right and wrong way to play baseball. Right and wrong way beyond the rules? Do you have to follow the rules? That's a different conversation of right and wrong, right? So when I mean absolute right and wrong, what I mean is is there? it's not a relative right and wrong. It's not if I accept this premise, then it's right and wrong in order to get to that goal. Like there's a right way to open up a soda can, a wrong way to open up a soda can. What I mean is that it's objectively right or wrong, that it's not vis-a-vis -vis a context, but it is the definition of the term right and wrong in its absolute sense. Now, I'll say why that's important, because without that, you can't actually say anything's right and wrong. So if, let's say the soda can, if I open up the soda can by cutting a circle on the side, and you go, well, that's the wrong way to do it. I said, no, it's not this way I wanted to do it. And you go, yeah, but it makes, uh, it's not as easy as just flipping over the top. Okay, I don't really care about easy. Well, it might be a little more dangerous. I'm willing to take the risk. Um, well, it's not how the manufacturer attended. Well, I found a better way than the manufacturer. So in other words, non-absolute right and wrong is only s strong insofar as you care about the result that that right and wrong is dependent on. Right. So if I care about manufacturer's intent, then I can convince you not to open it that way because it's the wrong way to open it based on your desired goal. Right. But without some desired goal, you can't define a particular action as right or wrong in this subjective sense. So in other words, if I would say it a different way is... Why is it right or wrong to follow the manufacturer's intent? Right. So I wouldn't be able to tell you why it was right or wrong to do that. Um, I mean, maybe we can get into some sort of conversation about that. But let's assume that that's where the the line ends. But I could tell you that, well, pretty much every person does care about that. 
So why is that not enough for me to say you're doing the wrong thing because, well, basically everybody's doing it because that again, way. There's nothing that makes everybody doing something right or wrong. There's no, it, there's nothing right or wrong about me following what everybody else d- is doing. You can say, then at least I'll be doing what everybody else is doing. But if you cannot figure out a way to ascribe an, a central value to that, again, every value you place on something is going to be a relative value, right? It's, well, it's good to follow what everybody else is doing because then you're not antisocial. What's the problem being antisocial? Uh, because then if you're not antisocial, you'll live longer. Why do I need to live longer? You might want to. Okay, what if I don't care? So what if I can point to a subjective value? In other words, let's just call it the, the manufacturer's intent. But it's something that not majority of people hold, but every single person holds of throughout all of human existence. Everybody's held that that's the ideal in terms of opening something. Well, so two things. First is how universal can it be? Because I'm a human who clearly did not hold that, right? I, I clearly held you can open it this way, and that was no problem. Uh, so what you're saying is every other human. Um, no, I would think that you're you're either deceiving yourself or you didn't realize that that's the manufacturer's intent. But if you truly understood and comprehended, no, okay. So let's say I did understand the manufacturer's intent. And, and so I'm presenting I'm presenting an example where if you did, I'm asking if you if I know that if you understood this, yeah. And this is the way it's been for human history. Every single person, having fully comprehended that this is a manufacturer's intent, will always agree that that is the right thing to do. So what does it mean always will agree that that's the right thing to do? They might do it. Who cares what they think is right? Why does that make it the right thing to do? So we, we said you could define right and wrong based on these subjective things, but then the next question would be, well, why do you hold that that's the right thing to do? Right, so I can still always ask that at the end. So let's say every so single you could, human... but I don't, I don't care why. It's just everybody agrees with that. I'm asking, is there a difference if everybody throughout human existence has always agreed that this is the ideal of something? Can I then say, well, you're doing it wrong? No. Or, or let's, let's ask it a slightly different way. Let's say I know that your ideal is to create, is, is to, to follow the manufacturer's way. And you've told me that, and you've expressed that in many ways. Yeah. I want to follow the manufacturer's thing, but I'm opening it by cutting it this yeah. way. Well, so then I can say you're doing it wrong. What's wrong about ignoring my ideals? In terms of your ideals, it's That's true. wrong. But, what's, but what makes my ideals more objectively right than missing my ideals? So let me just make sure I understand what you're saying. What I'm trying to suggest is that perhaps the way to define what you should and shouldn't do, even though basing it on an ideal could change between people and could even change within yourself from time to time, I was trying to suggest that, well, at least while I have this ideal, I can say this is what I should and shouldn't do to fulfill this ideal. And you're saying, you're right, you shouldn't be because it's my ideal, so I'm going to want to do that, and I probably will do that. But there's nothing telling me that I should or shouldn't do it. And to, to take so it perhaps say, one step further, yeah. the the thing, the action itself is not telling me to do something or to not do something. There's nothing inherent about this action which I can say is right or wrong. I can only say it's right and wrong insofar as the ideal is concerned. And that just kind of pushes the quote unquote morality or the shouldn't shouldn't one step further. Right. Well, why should I follow the ideal? I can right. tell so you I, all, I, I would will. ask you, right, is it is it objectively any better to be foolish and be unaware of your ideals and make a mistake and go against your ideals than it is to be aware and follow your ideals. You can so say it's, actually, it's very interesting. These be the my, ideals maybe, but not. My friend was just telling me, I'd have to figure out, find out who exactly the, it's a, I think it's a modern philosopher, but he basically pushed that theory. He said it's better to be foolish and happy non-truth. And this really gets, I mean, you know, this has a lot and, of matrix But that's even matrix a funny term. What's better? What's better? 
Yeah, so he, he just, well, Neck really goal, had more pleasure. More pleasure, okay. is, it seems yeah. to be where he's going. But that's very interesting because I, I don't feel like a lot of people will attach themselves to that. In other words, I, I don't think most people will actually think that fooling yourself, even if it makes you happy, is the right thing. Like being the most advised, and, that, and that's kind of weird because it's, it's hard to explain that. You know, it's hard to explain why we connect to truth more than happiness for the most part. People seem to connect to truth more than happiness. Well, I, I think it's because um, moral correctness is the biggest driving force in any human meaning every human if it's a certain level of moral correct will give up on almost any pleasure for it or at least if they don't will regret it and live at odds with themselves which so is, i think we'll, we'll which get why, that. Like everybody needs to ha find that place of moral correctness the question just is where's is that coming from but the reason why i wanted to discuss all this is because i had a, a guest this past shabbos in my house um who was uh not religious in any classical sense um, he believed in God, but didn't believe in any, uh, specific, uh, communicated ideals, it would seem, uh, certainly not through Tyra and Mitzvahs the way we have it with an oral Tyra with specific details. So, uh, in the course of conversation, it came up, um, about a parent who, who I guess had, had to some extent disowned their child because they were marrying a non-Jew. Um, and... And he was very upset about this, and he was claiming that the parents were jerks because, you know, they were, what do you mean, why are they disowning their child uh, just because they're marrying a non-Jew? Uh, you know, that's not a healthy way. Now, if the parents were trying to, like, hurt their child because they wanted to get back at them, I wouldn't really argue. But let's pretend the parents really thought this was the best way to have their child uh, rethink his decision to marry a non-Jew. Um, and you could make a couple examples of this. Uh, actually, one of the examples that came up in the conversation was, what if your child um, wants to, you know, marry a man? Uh, you have a male son who has... Uh, male son is, uh, would be redundant in all but today's society. Well, unfortunately, we have to clarify. So we have a, a, a male, a male child, okay, um, who is interested in other men. So the question would be, what extent should a parent go to to dissuade them? So immediately when that was brought up, this person got very agitated. Oh, what are you doing? That's child abuse. Like, how could you try to force a child to not uh, not find love, you know, when somebody loves? Uh, and I asked them, I just asked straight out, I said, well, what if your kid was taking heroin? And the only way to stop him from taking heroin was to try to disown him, you know, kick him out of the house, and hopefully that would awaken him. Now, I'm not saying that that's the best parenting method, but I'm saying, but let's say that was your goal. Your goal was, I need to stop him at all costs. Would it justify even kicking a kid out of the house because they're a drug addict and they could really hurt themselves, right? And he was like, I can't believe you would even compare heroin to being with a man or marrying a non-Jew. Could have so, guessed that would be his response. So I asked him, I said, well, can you explain to me the difference? Um, and he refused to because... Well, I think when you start getting into it, you'll realize the difference is not as great as you may seem. Now, what I assume his difference was is that, well, heroin is dangerous in terms of you may die, right? While marrying a non-Jew or sleeping with another man, um, you wouldn't die from it. So that was the beginning and end of when... So apparently in his world, morality was stopping death at all costs. Yeah, so that, that obviously kind of gets us thinking about, well, what exactly is morality? You know, if, if we're trying to line up actions with morality, 
then what exactly is amorality? So it would seem like the... Well, sorry, if I could just line it up quickly and then you go. So the question is, is did the parents do the right thing, the moral thing, the should, should they have disowned their kid because of behavior that they held to be wrong and therefore harmful for the kid because when a child is doing the wrong thing, they held it to be harmful. Now, was their calculation was harmful because they're not going to get into the the eternal reward uh, after they die? Did they hold it was harmful because doing the wrong thing is just a, a, a ill that should be avoided at all costs? But that's the question. Is it moral to disown a kid because of a because they wanted to marry a, a they were involved with another man or because they um they wanted to marry an object yeah so i think this is actually a great question to kind of flush out the concepts that we were talking about before is it flush out or flush out oh i've been saying flush out but i guess that might mean throw away <laughs> yeah flush out means uh, you know i want to flush it out add some busser to the picture because if we say like you were saying that the only way i can say something is right or wrong is based on some objective overriding nothing to do with ideals nothing to do with anything that can change it's just things are right and wrong based on some overriding system which again we're using code words but that would be a religious system given by god which is outside of any human kind of quote-unquote involvement obviously the logic process has human involvement but the the right and wrong is coming from a god who created the world and is saying this is right and wrong so then i can look at this picture and i can say objectively was it right or wrong and then you'd have to go through the lachas you have to figure out what a shem wants and whatever a shem wants i can say is right or wrong so there now, i can really now, say we'll get into this later but um people do ask well who's why isn't following what hashem wants also relative right and wrong meaning well it's only right because if you want to follow what Hashem wants, but who says it's right to follow what Hashem wants? So then we'll, you know, we'll get into that. Uh, that's more of a definitional thing that at that, at that point, it becomes right. a definition of the right way to use the object that was created. But um, let's look at it the way I wanted to look at, which was based on human ideals. So then I think immediately it, it becomes very tricky and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to ask, okay, so was what the parents did wrong? Well, I'll say, okay, the parents, presumably, let's just assume they want what's best for the child. They believe what's best for the child is to not marry this person. And they believe that ideal is so important that it justifies the act of disowning the kid. So how can anyone argue on that? Well, that's the parent's ideal. And that's the action which leads to that ideal. So how, how would one go about arguing on that? So, so first off, the, the term the parents are a jerk I think is way off mark because if that is their equation, then that's the exact same moral equation to the parents who are trying to stop their kid from taking drugs because it'll harm them. Again, you have the exact same – the parents are looking out for the kid, honestly. They think that whatever the kid is doing warrants drastic uh, drastic interference or intervention, and they're choosing a mode of intervention which we think is acceptable in certain cases, right? Now, if the concern level is you know that high. Now, the question what you can say is, well, I think they're wrong because their concern level shouldn't be that high. So let's let's take an extreme the other way, right? Let's say a parent says, I think if my kid drinks a cup of soda, it's so bad for him, I'm going to kick him out of the house and never allow him to see us, our family again unless he never drinks a Coke, right? So now let's say the parent was being serious. If the parent's not being serious, and we're talking about psychopaths, if the parent's being serious, I really think Coke's that bad. So in terms of the parent, you can't say they're a jerk because if they actually are you know, that intentful that they really think this is that harmful and it justifies the behavior, then you're not a jerk. You may be wrong. It may, so that's what I'm saying. It, it has to objectively not be the correct, the correct, uh, formula, but what is the actual difference? 
it's hard to know. So that's what I'm saying. How do you, so that, that's exactly where the point is, I think. How do, how does the one come up with that kicking a kid out of the house for Coke, for sure not, not cocaine, but for a <laughs> bottle of Coke, for sure not. Um, apparently for this person, marrying Nanju was also for sure not, but taking heroin was for sure yes. You could for sure do drastic things to stop a kid taking heroin. So what is that moral tool the person is using to say this is for sure yes and this is for sure no? Now, granted, you can go to a million households in America and you can go to any party you want. And if you say that out at a party that, you know, I kicked my kid out because they married Nanju, they'd think you're bad, a bad person. And if you said I kicked my kid out because they were about to commit, you know, overdose, a bunch, I was scared they were going to overdose, I'd be like, well, it was a hard move, but that's tough love. You're a really good parent. Now, what causes people to say one over the other? That I think I want to explore a little bit. So in that particular example, uh, it would seem like the only difference is how bad do you believe marrying a non-Jew is? But that's different than Coke because drinking a cup of Coke how bad that is is so to speak objective and agreed upon by everybody in terms of its direct effects the only question is how do you measure those effects that's what i'm saying no but in terms of marrying a non-jew the effects of that act are not agreed upon a non-religious person doesn't believe there's any negative effect other than maybe like socially the parents will be kind of awkward because he married outside of the faith but for a jewish from person the effects of that are much worse than heroin much worse than dying much worse than anything they're literally they're they're pretty much giving up their yiddish guy especially if it's a, a man marrying a non-jewish woman the grandkids are not going to be jewish so in that case the effects for, in a religious person's perspective swings it towards heroin um while for a non-religious person it swings it towards a cup of coke but that's based on axioms going into the effects. In terms of the heroin Coke example, Coca-Cola example, that is is a better that, that's a better question to approach this because there the effects are so to speak objective. We can all agree on the effects. The only question is how do you view those effects? So there we can say, well, most people agree that the view on the effects of Coke does not warrant kicking out, but these parents do. So how can I go ahead and say, well, because most of us don't believe that, therefore you are wrong. That would kind of be the question. Well, I think you could take it with also the intermarriage thing for as follows. It is true. Every – certain physical effects, uh, physical acts have physical effects that can be measured, right? So if you take heroin, um, your your chance of dying is let's, – let's give it a made-up number, 20%, right? And we think – and people throughout today's society – have decided that 20% is a reasonable amount of, of likelihood of death where parents are allowed to take drastic measure, and that's considered okay. Coke, drinking a can of Coke, causes slight health problems. Maybe, you know, one in a million will cause a slight health problem down the road if you have one uh, cup of Coke in your life, right? Okay, so it is true. There's a big difference. There's an objective difference in those effects. One of them is 20% likelihood of death. One is no likelihood of death, maybe 1% uh, likelihood of cavity. Okay. But who decided that cavity is not worth kicking out a kid out of the house for, as opposed to death? Maybe cavity is the worst thing in the world that could happen to somebody. So you would say, well, no, because it's not as painful as death. Yeah, so I think I think now is a good time to, to move into the, the devil's advocate portion, where yeah. I'm going to now suggest what most atheists or even non-religious people would view morality as, which is uh, it's it's a kind of mix of the golden rule with a few other... Um, ideas mixed in there, but it's what provides the best, the most amount of pleasure to the most amount of people. What rules or actions will lead to that? And 
the reason that is picked is because it seems to be a universal human character trait of desiring um, pleasure. Now, as you pointed out before, there are, there are actually things which override pleasure, uh, such as, you know, quote unquote, an innate sense of morality, where... Well, I would say that that actually provides a deeper sense of pleasure. Or deeper sense of pleasure. Okay. So, so let's let's stick with pleasure as the 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 motivator for the most people's actions. But before we do that, I just want to point out that th- that doesn't make anything right or wrong. Meaning, a person could say, if we follow these actions, we'll have the most of our pleasure. And I could say, yeah, well, I don't care about pleasure like you do. Or I don't care that I don't care. I don't care that I do care about pleasure and I'm not acting in accordance with, uh, uh, you know, uh, obtaining pleasure. Also, generally, uh, things that are pleasurable for a whole community is not pleasurable for a in every scenario for an individual. So you're already getting into the to the answers. Yeah. So let, me, let me just let okay. me just let me just flush it out a little bit more. So the the suggestion would be, and this is what you will hear from most people, is that the reason we should let's just, just stick with the example that's very prevalent nowadays. So um, if you talk about like men uh, men with men, right? So that's something that has been viewed as a negative for thousands of years, and is now the question is being asked: What? Well, why is it a negative? It's just two people making a decision. They both seem to have pleasure. It's not really affecting anybody. It's negatively affecting them to stop them from doing it. Why shouldn't we allow it? Now, this is, again, it's making an, uh, an assumption that allowing this stuff does not negatively affect anybody. But let's, let's pretend that's true. So I'm asking you, so why isn't it immoral of you? Why, why can I say that you're a bad person for trying to stop this? Because by allowing it, you're allowing more pleasure. Or to ask it a slightly different way if i was going to start a country and i can create rules in any way i think everybody would agree that the best way to do it would be to provide the most amount of pleasure for the most amount of people so let's let's run all our actions through that and anything that goes against that i'm going to say you shouldn't do so two things first is is we don't know that that's true right we don't know that allowing men to marry men will end up in more pleasure for the society as a whole uh, we don't know the actual effects of allowing men to marry men because we haven't done it long enough. We haven't normalized it long enough. Um, if we do normal, so I'll tell you the last time, I mean, not the last time, but one of the times where it's fairly normal um, was in ancient Greek times. Uh, that was the time where it's fairly normal, but you know, what also was fairly normal was pedophilia um, and it wasn't looked down upon at all. So, so is that a problem? I don't know. Maybe they're all happy. I don't know if that's a problem. But then you'd have to rethink if pedophilia is a problem. Well, do you uh, do you want to get into that now? Well, you... no. So I I wanted to get to something before I get into that. So the first thing I would say is we don't know if that's even true. So I don't want to get into like the specifics reasons why you can explain um, male on male relationships as a problem. But there's a significant amount of 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 studies uh, that are coming out now that are showing that the rate of uh, people who identify as, you know, LBGTQ plus, um, plus uh, are, is expanding. Um, now, a person could say, well, yeah, that's because it's becoming acceptable. So now everybody's coming out of the closet. But it's expanding to numbers that are very odd. Uh, right now, I think we're at one out of every six Generation Z um, identifies as LGBTQ, uh, which is odd because, you know, that's a lot of people who are like hiding their true desires their whole life. I, I spoke to somebody who was in high school in the uh, um, in the '90s, I believe, um, and they were like, "Yeah, maybe one kid in the whole school was." And it's not like something you would miss if a person is actually like you're talking about all the guys who went to the same parties. Everybody, you know, 
there's always that guy you, you you know you think about that maybe he's like that but it, to say that one of every six guys you know that's like one in every friend group um but what i think was is more telling is that 50% of those people who identify as you know anything on this this interesting spectrum of let's say deviant relationships um 50 over 50% is bi now bi means you like men and women which in other words means you're just promiscuous um, it means you just like to have relations with everybody. Now, this is very common because in the olden days, uh, when let's say in ancient Greece, when when you know having male on male relationships was considered the norm. It was really before Judeo Christian. Yeah, before took before over. the, the Judeo Christian realities took over, when men on men relationships were the norm. It's not like they didn't like women. Also, they just hey, this is another person to have relationships with. Um, so what is harmful about that? Well, you could say very simply is that men being able to reach gratification in that arena, in the arena of relations, without having to put in the work that is impl- you know, implicit in any male-female relationship, just based on the differences in males and females, could cause problems that we don't know. Maybe it'll cause people to stop getting married, which will cause them to stop having kids. Maybe it'll cause people to um, – maybe it'll cause people to pursue pleasure instead of a life of virtue. Um, a, a you know hedonistic pleasure instead of a life of virtue. We don't know what it'll cause because we're only doing it for a couple of years. Okay, so the first problem you're suggesting with uh, presenting morality in terms of um, ma- pleasure to the most amount of people, most pleasure, max pleasure to max people, uh, you're saying is it's pretty much impossible to actually figure that out. But one can suggest that maybe in certain cases it's very difficult, but one can say that in certain cases it seems fairly obvious or... Even but if what? not, like go, what? go with the best. Well, with what? Um, well, let's say, well, let's let's say killing. We can say killing somebody, killing an innocent person. I think most people would agree what's is not in, good what, for what's society. An, what's an innocent person? So, well, let me just pick one example, what which about, I think we can all what about agree killing on. Killing a baby. <laughs> what about killing a baby in the mother's stomach. Well, let's let's talk about killing a baby who's or killing a child who's ten years old in a yeah. school for no reason other than um for no reason let's say you have no excuse you just want to kill that kid i think everybody would agree that that's bad and i don't think there's well by definition that are going to come out that by definition killing somebody with no excuse is bad well not by definition yeah it's a definition of no excuse doing good for somebody with no excuse is not considered bad well it's not no excuse there's a good well here there's that's not the reason i'm doing it I mean, here there's, well, there's mean, a bad existing. That's just not the reason I'm doing it. Pain without a rationale, of course, is bad. Why? What? Oh, so there you go. So that that's something. Pain without a rationale. We can all agree. Pain without a rationale is bad. So, any, well, sorry, any, sorry. Any pain, I... pain without a rationale will always lead to pain. Perfect. Yeah. So, that, so but who says pain is bad? Uh, that no, 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 no that's okay. not what you're. At. That's, yeah, yeah. that's not what you're asking. The first question you had was pain how without. Are we able to prove a, yeah, so, pain without a rationale would be. So based on that pain. first question, you would agree that any um, action which we can all yeah, but I, that's saying, I don't think we on. can agree that there's any – I don't think everybody can agree on pain without a rationale uh, that would be uniform. So I'll give you a perfect example. Um, let's say – let's take a school shooter, okay? Classic school shooter. He comes to school and kills his bullies, shoots them. They made the fun bullies? of him. They made fun of him the other day. The bullies? What? The bullies? His bullies. You know, he was walking down the street and uh, he was heavyweight, you know, and, and one of the kids says, hey, fatso, you know, why don't you stop eating – Donuts. so much so much donuts right and this kid's like 
man, that's the last time somebody's going to call me fat. Goes home, picks up a gun, comes back and shoots, you know, this kid and his friends who all laughed when he said he's a fat so fat. Right. So we would all, I think, I think in today's side, would be like, this is, you know, this is the devil. This kid is, you know, granted they called him fat, but that's not an excuse to end six people's lives, right? But think back to a different time in U.S. history when shaming somebody, meaning making fun of somebody, calling somebody a coward, going at a person's honor, it was considered justified to shoot him. You would have a duel, and if I'm more talented than you, you're going to get shot. In fact, it was considered immoral to turn down the duel. It was it, considered immoral to not stand up for your honor. I don't even think you have to go back 150 years. But I just I want to cause that contrast. Today, he's a devil school shooter. Back then, he was a man, an honorable man, standing up for his honor. Well, what happened? I thought we, I thought we all agreed that well, even there, unexcused you, pain is wrong. Even there, you have to give the other guy a, a, a shot. At you. Oh, you know? so if the school shooter said, here's a gun, I'm much better than you. I think that would be much... If the guy accepted... It, I, I, what My point I is... I think school shooters should go around and hand out guns <laughs> to all of their victims and say, I'm coming Let's in at go. this time. <laughs> right. Let's do this. <laughs> my honor is at stake. No, so that's, so that's what I'm saying. I, don't I think f- people would respect that guy a little bit more. A little bit more, but I think we would still think that that guy's an evil devil, especially if he's a better shooter. Um, Depends so, how much he was made fun of, but I'm probably with you. So that's what I'm saying. So, so how did that switch? That was such basic morality. You ask anybody today... Somebody make calls you fat, you shoot him. Okay, not okay. Of course it's not okay. 150 years ago, you ask anybody in the tank. Somebody calls you fat, is it okay to go home and not shoot him? Not okay. Right. Who wouldn't stand up for their honor? So so that's true. There are things that change. But I'm, I'm asking what about something which either probably won't change or something that we can say. Well, which, which I'm saying which could you probably. Let's... Well, why can't we say we've advanced from then? What? Why can't we say we've Who advanced Who says we've advanced? Where do we you get do. that from? I oh, say. And they claimed we've regressed. But that's fine. Let's say I claimed you regressed. You yourself claim that we've regressed. Like, where do you get that from? How do you know? Like, how do you know you've advanced? And yeah, what if I say you regressed? Well, you get the smartest people. You know, you get the smartest people in the country to get together and, and think about well, it. Well, that's what they did back then. You're only smarter than they. Why are you smarter than they are? We like, what more, do you have? We have more uh, statistics. We, we, have more. Like we don't have statistics on if you shoot people for honor, you'll end up with a better society. You don't know that. Maybe people who, who allow themselves to be embarrassed and don't stand up for them end up weak and they give their emotional problems to their kids and that's what calls on the mental health in today's world. We have no idea. Okay, so I think we can get into some more examples also about, about this first issue, which is how do you figure out what creates the best society? And it, it's, it's, it seems to be more than just a practical issue of how do you figure out what's the best for society. It seems to be more of a uh, integral... In order to figure out what's best for society, you have to understand the psyche of everybody in that society and everybody's psyche is different no, but you're, you're making a there's a lot of calculations you have to make one is how do you how do you weigh the pleasure of an individual versus the pleasure of of um of group. a group um how do you weigh virtue versus physical discomfort so for one of the examples i, I like to bring is um if your kid's taking heroin he's getting a certain amount of pleasure with a certain amount of risk of death but it is a certain amount of pleasure so we assume. Yeah, we've never taken it, but they say it's good. Uh, people, you know, literally die for it. So <laughs> it's not an endorsement. Um, say no to drugs, kids. No, so so people literally die for it, which means that there's a certain amount of pleasure that person gets when he takes it, but there's a certain amount of risk of death. Now, let me ask you this. Um, some people like to enlist. Um, they want to join, you know, special forces, uh, anti-terrorist uh, 
let's say, commandos who go fight and, you know, fight against ISIS, right? Very admirable. There's people, let's say right now, there's people who leave their hometown and go to Ukraine to help defend Ukraine against the evil Putin, right? Considered admirable. There's a certain amount of pleasure going on. The feeling of moral virtue is a pleasure. Maybe it's a pleasure for a lot of people, but it's a certain amount of pleasure. And there's a risk of death. Would you compare the kid who takes the heroin to the guy who's going to defend Ukraine? Now, what's his motivation? Feels good to be a moral person. Well, I, I'm going to be honest. Before now, I would not have compared the two. But it's, yeah, it seems to be that there's there's a pleasure-pain, you know, meter. And both are fulfilling a certain amount of pleasure. Both are giving a risk of pain. And you can even equate the two in certain respects. Um, and yet, yeah, we would all agree that the pleasure of one is of a higher cause than the pleasure of the other. And that's probably because the pleasure of one, the pleasure of the heroin addict, is a type of pleasure that leads to the pleasure of one. While the pleasure of the Ukrainian volunteer is a type of pleasure that if everybody shared that kind of pleasure, the pleasure of helping others, there'd be a lot of pleasure in the world. So that would be why we value one over the other. I mean, it could be. I think it's more to do with the fact that we think it's it's virtuous to save people even at personal discomfort. I think that, that virtuous, I think if you think of, I mean, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but any example of virtuous, virtuous behavior is going to be tied into the pleasure of that virtue being such that the continuation of that virtue will lead to the pleasure of many. In which case, we're just valuing the pleasure of many over the uh, over the pleasure of one, and that's what we call virtue. Uh, not not exactly virtue, but that that kind of pleasure we value more than the pleasure of the individual. That's what I'm saying. It could be, but then then which side does the kid who's marrying uh, wants to marry a man? Which side does he fall on? Um, so if anything, it's worse than the heroin, because because here by stopping the, by the heroin guy, even though the uh, the pleasure is only for one, the harm's only for one. Um, well, that that well, that would be the discussion is whether obviously, I think most people would agree that if the harm was to many and the pleasure was to one by the you know so the man the, on the, man, the assumption just becomes that it's not harm to many. Yeah, the assumption is it's not harm to any. Right, and it's actually harm to it. It's harm to none, pleasure to one if you allow it, or pleasure to two, and it's harm to one or two, pleasure to quote unquote none. If you disallow it, so now to argue on that. Now again, this this is all making the the assumption that uh, that you're able to base what you should and shouldn't do based on kind of this this pleasure calculation. Which the first point you made was it's almost impossible to calculate. It's really just it's guesswork at the at the highest extreme. Well, I would just say it's whatever uh, whatever you've been told in social media is the correct thing to do. That's so let's, let's that get feel. into that in a second. Did you have any other problems with this? this uh figuring out what we should and shouldn't do based on max pleasure besides for the technical issue of figuring out what what produces max pleasure well i i mean i, I don't know if we've included this but why is max pleasure um better than well let's say like this here's a different uh, question let's say i have to choose between average pleasure for everybody or max pleasure for one country how do i make those decisions so like let's take the hero the the um let's take let's take the guy who goes to fight in Ukraine right so um if if Russia loses it's probably not gonna be fun for a lot of people in Russia um, if Russia wins it's not gonna be fun for a lot of people in Ukraine um, 
well, the, it, the it might not even is, be fun for the rest of the world. That's that's I think the that's but, why we take Ukraine's side. Okay, but why is that more important than the happiness of Russia? I mean, I mean, why is a person? Because we assume because we assume keeping American ideals on the winning side, or keeping Russian ideals on the losing side, will end up with more pleasure for the world. I mean, that's why. We but it's not going to be more pleasure for Russia. So that's true. But from, it'll be more pleasure for more people. Yes, but it's not going to be as much pleasure as the max pleasure for individuals. So th- this sounds like a similar question to what we were asking before: is how do how do you weigh the different pleasures? Well, that's so it's not well, okay, the same so question. Th- There's a different question. I mean, not not is pleasure a barometer of morality, but even within pleasure, like for example, we're trying to say the Russians are bad because they're coming to take over Ukraine. Now the Russians are picking their own pleasure over everybody else's pleasure. Now you can't say that that's a pl- that that they're violating the pleasure principle by doing so because it is very possible that their pleasure will actually for them, be more than they would get by sharing the pot of pleasure that the whole world gets by, like, cooperating, right? The individual pleasure of the country that takes over everybody. Like, for example, um, if America shared its wealth with everybody in the world, like everybody in Africa, let's say, Africans would have more pleasure, but Americans would have less pleasure, but it would be on a median, more people would have, let's say, reach an average level of pleasure. But all of Americans would go from great amount of pleasure because we live in a world with air conditioning and food and uh, to an average amount of pleasure. Oh, so let me let me give a, a slightly different example. Okay. So let's say well, you have maybe, a, let maybe just explain yeah, so finish this, so the point whole, that I was making. Okay. So let's say you have a family, right? Yeah. And you're the the father oh, of that family, right, yeah. and you have you know ten million dollars to your name. So you could divide that money up amongst your children and give them all a very pleasurable life. Mm. You can also divide it among your city and give them all slightly more pleasure you can divide it among your country and everybody gets the same amount of a tiny bit more pleasure so most people would agree even though if you add up all those pleasures well it it might not be it would be hard hard to calculate that but most people would agree that the father's responsibility is towards his household and his action should be led by producing more pleasure for his family or the pleasure of his family should be more in his sights than the pleasure of other people such that he can even make a decision which would lead to less overall pleasure because it'll lead to more pleasure for his sons and people would view it as uh immoral to produce less pleasure for his sons in order to produce more pleasure among other people i mean i'll just give you and if a person thinks that's not true like up until very recently it was accepted practice that if a country wants more you know more wealth for its own country they can go to war against another country i'm saying from from putin's perspective let's say right. putin, he his responsibility is towards his country one can argue that it would be immoral of him to make a decision that ends up with less pleasure for his country just because it might have affected a different country negatively. Well, let me flesh out what you're saying a little bit more. The calculation of of my family's pleasure, let's say my group's pleasure, versus max pleasure for max amount of people, which will equal less pleasure for my particular family, is can't be a pleasure principle argument because you can't come to me and say you'll be better off because you actually might not be better off. Now, you could say you'll have a better chance of being better off, but let's say I know, no, no, I know I'll win this war, and I'll be better off till I die. So you can't come to me and say you'll have more pleasure if you allow the whole world to get an average amount of pleasure. But I could, maybe maybe I can come and say it's not right for you to have more pleasure and at the expense of other people having significantly less pleasure but that's not a pleasure argument anymore. That's a moral argument. That's saying virtue overrides pleasure, which loses the original point, which is that pleasure is the definition of virtue. So now you're claiming there's some sort of overriding virtue which should tell me to give up on pleasure for other people's pleasure because that is considered good. 
where in the world did you get that good from? It can't be from pleasure, because it's actually less pleasure. You're saying the whole whole argument of max pleasure for max people goes directly against the pleasure-based argument. Well, it's not a pleasure principle argument. argument. That's what I'm trying to say. Because your pleasure would lead to you picking pleasure of self over pleasure of everybody. Right. And I think the argument of, well, if you... this is what uh, what people like to say is like if you can choose where you'd want to live where would you want to live in a place where everybody had an equal chance of leading a medium pleasure life or a place where 50 percent people had an ultra pleasure and 50 percent had nothing but it doesn't matter because I don't, I don't live in a hypothetical world right. i live in a real world and in this world i'd much rather be the billionaire than the medium pleasure loser and and that's on like max sorry that's on max scales let's take on a personal scale right i'm right here my family I want them to have a nice house because I know if my kids grow up in a nice house, they'll be better. They'll have more pleasure. I know if my family drives nice cars, let's pretend they'll have more pleasure, right? So let's say I can get away with murdering my neighbor and taking over his property and nobody will find out. What's wrong? You can't tell me it's not going to be more pleasurable. It will. Unless you tell me like I'll have guilt because of no, a moral put, put good. But that's, that's not fair because then you're – Maybe that's something I have to get over. And yet everybody intuitively knows that there is something wrong with that. Right. Which means the overriding thing is not a pleasure thing. It's not a pleasure thing. That's what I said. Moral good is the ultimate driver for everybody. The question just is, where did they get that from? So let's take it back to what we're talking about. When when the the guest on Chavez was so astounded that I would compare heroin to a man marrying a man, all he was basically saying is that is that in my world, this is where I would get more pleasure from. If it happened to me, and therefore you shouldn't do it. Where does that come from? Right, right, right. In my world, factually today in my world, with my belief system, it gives me more pleasure to kick my kid out to make sure that they're not they're not um they're not gonna marry a man. Just like it would give you more pleasure to kick your kid out so they don't do a overdose. Not saying it's gonna be fun, but it'll be more pleasure than allowing them in to do the overdose. And, and the weird part is without some sort of objective morality. Every single action that a person makes, he's basing on his own sense of what will give me the most pleasure. And I can't tell him, nobody can tell him, you should not be doing something that gives you the most pleasure. Because everybody feels like, well, I kind of should be doing what gives me the most pleasure. The only reason I shouldn't be is because there's some sort of overriding morality, so to speak, that there is something that's right and wrong. But that can't be explained in any other way other than there's something objective. Because if somebody really thought about it and there was no God, they'd be like, this gives me the most pleasure. I'm here for 120 years. Whatever gives me the most pleasure is the only possible thing that I can make my decisions based on. Because, well, that, that's what I'm after. I'm after personal pleasure. Now, you can say that helping somebody else will give you more pleasure. So if you feel that way, by all means, go ahead and do that. But if killing your neighbor and you feel like you'll get away with it, if you feel like that will give you most pleasure, who is anybody in the world to tell you that was wrong to do? You'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm follow, here for 120 years. I follow years. the pressure, pl- pleasure that, principle. That's my pleasure. That's my pleasure. I'm going to do it. And nobody could tell him he did something wrong. Yet everybody feels like they could tell people they are doing something that is wrong. And the reason is because everybody intuitively does understand that there is a sense of morality. And and that's really a big problem with atheism and the, the modern push towards this, so to speak, naturalistic morality is because once you take an objective morality out of it and try to convince people that you can figure out your own morality based on this pleasure principle. As soon as you put it into the pleasure principle, people immediately go into, well, this is my personal pleasure. How do I figure out my personal pleasure? So everything that gives personal pleasure becomes totally allowed, and taking away my personal pleasure goes against that, which is why the whole, and and not to get into politics, but 
there's a modern push towards subjective truths where there's my truth and there's your truth. Everybody has their own truth. Once it becomes my truth, you can't argue on my truth. What that really saying is you cannot tell me that I am wrong. And let's just, let's just take it to a very particular example. If I, if I say I feel like a woman and you say, but you're not a woman, they go, well, I feel like I'm a woman and it's my truth. You can't argue on my truth. Therefore, I am a woman. And the expectation is now you have to treat me as if I'm a woman because of my truth. That is taking away anything objective and going into whatever I believe is true. When you t blur that line and say whatever I believe is true, the step towards evil things, which we all agree are evil, but in my truth, they lead to more happiness or I feel like they're correct. There's no natural step that I can take to say what you believe is true. You believe you're a woman, you're a woman. But you believe killing is, is pleasurable for you and is good. No, no that's, that's a problem. Where is that line? And, and I think you could see this very clearly just by how things change. Um, take abortion, right? Abortion at a certain point was considered for sure murder. It's evil. You're killing. At another point, at this point, kind of, it's like most America would say it's evil to the woman to not kill the baby. Right. Man. There was a point, a very brief point, that in Virginia, infanticide was talked about um, in normal terms. Now, if I said like 15 years ago, hey, there'll be a time in America where killing a newborn after it's born will be okay, you'd be like, that's terribly evil. But I guarantee you there will be a time within the not-too-future not too where that will be okay. It will be There will be a time where people think it would be it's okay to kill people with special needs because, what do you mean, max pleasure for max amount of people? Makes me feel better. So, so let's let's wrap up what we've said so far, and then I want to I actually talk because Roe v. Wade was just overturned, and I want to talk about abortion specifically and how our conversation relates to abortion particularly. But let's just wrap up what we've said so far. So we've already shown that right and wrong can only be based on some sort of objective measure because anytime you take it to anything subjective where I can figure out a system and base my actions based on some sort of uh, man-made system where it's, well, this is ideal. We're trying to aim for that. So the first problem is kind of a practical problem. It, it's impossible to figure out what will lead to the most amount of pleasure. Not it's impossible, but practically impossible. I'm saying practically impossible. We've practical been trying problem. for 3,000 years, and, uh, and uh, humans are very not happy still. Yeah, and, and all, the, all the moves in, in the right direction... Um, things that we kind of all agree on are based on Judeo-Christian value, that every person has has value in and of himself, right, right. and they have rights, which are God-given and not man-given. But the attempt to, to move it towards men, so the first problem is it's, it's, it seems to be it's practically impossible to figure out a system that will lead to the most amount of pleasure. It, it also is impossible in the sense that there's no reason why anybody should follow a system which leads to max amount of pleasure instead of personal pleasure. Right. Personal pleasure makes more sense at every level. Right. And once you take it away from something objective and move it into subjective, well, hey, I'm, I'm begging you, please do something which lowers your pleasure to increase the pleasure of others. Everybody would be like, well, n no, thank you. I'd rather increase well, my own pleasure. Well, I think people actually wouldn't say that because I hold that moralistic good is actually stronger than pleasure. But if you own in the pleasure principle. Right, um, right based on the pleasure principle. Yeah. Um, so... Now I just want to take this. Oh, so one last question that remains is, well, I understand. So Hashem's given us a thing. He's saying this is right and this is wrong. Why can't I say the same thing? Well, I want my own pleasure. I don't care what Hashem is saying right or wrong. So how how do you get out of that problem even with religion? So I, w I would say as follows. Within, let's say, let's say you're playing the game Monopoly. There's a correct way to play Monopoly vis-a-vis -vis the rules. Correct. Yes. Meaning if, if Monopoly is defined as a game that has certain rules 
and you're not following those rules, you're not playing Monopoly. Correct. Okay. Now, a person could say, well, who says I have to play Monopoly? You, you don't have to right. play Monopoly. So why is it still considered a non-objectively incorrect use of the Monopoly pieces if I, let's say I decide, you know what, we're going to go backwards through the through the board, and if you land on somebody, you, the owner has to pay the, the, uh, the owner has to pay the occupant. Well, you could play that, but you're not playing Monopoly. Okay, but what's wrong about that? There's nothing wrong with that. Why? Because Monopoly is not the genesis of those pieces, meaning Monopoly sphere is limited to Monopoly. So the rules are contained within if you're playing Monopoly, but there's nothing objective about this reality that forces me to play Monopoly. Monopoly is no has no more, let's say, objective hold in this reality than non-Monopoly or any other game. In other words, the pieces are, are means by which you could play Monopoly, but you can also, inherently, you can do whatever you want with them. Right, and because that's the case, and there's no, what, because you decided I should use these pieces for Monopoly, so then it becomes Monopoly? I decided I should use these pieces for this. Why is that wrong? Right. It wouldn't be Monopoly, but it wouldn't be, there's nothing wrong okay. with that. So, however, when God created the world, it wasn't just that there's pre-existing material, and God told us, hey, you have to use this pre-existing material to live a life in this way. Because then I could say, okay, but who says that's the objective way to use that material? Maybe I'll use the material this way. If, however, when God made the world, it wasn't there's pre-existing material and God's telling us, I think you should use this pre-existing material this way. If the pre-existing material was only created in the first place from nothing to serve this one goal, then objectively that goal has a hold on every single aspect of reality. There's no part of reality where you could say has any function outside of the one that was intended. What's the difference between the creation of the world and the creation of the monopoly pieces? Well, the creation of monopoly pieces are not are not creations. You didn't create the monopoly pieces. You form them, but you don't own the form either. But what's the like how does that create a difference for our conversation? So, so the the reason why there's multiple ways to use a monopoly board is because you didn't you didn't create the form of a of a monopoly house. You didn't create the plastic. You didn't create the paper. You didn't create any of that. You arbitrarily design, de- defined a role for it. So why do I have to find your arbitrarily defined role versus my arbitrarily defined role? However, when God created the universe, it wasn't there's nothing existing with an arbitrary defined role. The genesis of everything existing is only for that role. So a person is it's objectively wrong to look at the cre- the creation of the universe and say it's for any other purpose. That's not true. Every aspect of his existence is only for one purpose. There's only one correct purpose. So this is a it's a very complicated point, but let me let me try to say it a slightly different way and let me know if I'm getting it correct. But let's say I am playing the game of Monopoly. So if I spin the die and I get a six and I move my piece six six spaces backwards, so then I can say that that is not correct. You did something wrong because insofar as I connect to this game of Monopoly, me moving six spaces back is incorrect. I could not play the game, but when I'm playing the game, I'm doing the wrong thing. When Hashem creates us, because Hashem creates us, and Hashem is creating not just us, but everything. He's not creating, uh, you know, that thing, and then he's saying, you know, I think that thing should be like this, but there could be something else. Hashem is everything. There is no, there could be something else. With a Monopoly game, there's a guy creating a Monopoly game, but those pieces exist with or without the creator's intent. When Hashem is creating the world, he's creating it constantly. He's creating it with a particular intent. If I go against that intent, 
I am playing the Monopoly game because I am in the world. I'm being created. I'm being created with an intent. If I go against my intent, I don't have to choose to do the intent, but I am doing the wrong thing because that is the intent of my creation. And that is the only intent. There cannot be a different intent. I can go against the intent, same way I can move six bases back in Monopoly, but that is wrong. You can't say that moving six bases back in Monopoly is wrong if I don't choose to subscribe to the game of Monopoly. But here I'm not choosing to subscribe to the game of Hashem Created Us. Hashem created us with an intent, and that exists whether I like it or not. So now that we've established this, I just want to move it to two realms of, of modern uh, mor morals, which are based on this theory that there's like a max pleasure, and you don't have anything objective, and it's just like everybody can live their own truth and do whatever makes them happy. So I want to uh, talk about two particular instances which are coming out now and, and kind of what the problems and the very obvious problems with them are. So the first one is abortion. So obviously Roe v. Wade was just overturned and abortion is on a lot of people's mind and they talk about it in terms of, well, it's a woman's choice uh, and the other people say, well, it's murder. There's no woman's choice. So here's the issue. So if you have an objective morality, you can say, well, Hashem told us that this is either murder or not murder. Um, you'd, and you'd have to look at the halacha to see exactly when it is murder, when it's not murder. And I can tell you it's wrong to do it at this time. It's not wrong to do it at that time. But let's say that we're going based on this pleasure principle or anything else that's not based on Hashem giving us some sort of morality. So I want to say, well, we should be able to abort this kid. Why? You could say because I don't view it as a life. You could say because even if it is a life, it's worth it to kill it because it'll lead to the parents' pleasure and even the country's pleasure because a lot of these kids who are going to be aborted end up being criminals. There's a few different things you can say. Now, let's say I define it as not a life. So then you have to really define, well, how are you defining life? Where is this definition coming from? Well, the definition really isn't coming from anything scientific because nothing scientific can tell you when life starts. You can say scientifically that it has a heartbeat, but I can't tell you a heartbeat defines life. But once I'm creating arbitrarily these terms of life, which I've never heard a good definition as to why we should start life here or there, it's just like, well, this is a line. A line right. is, you know, before it leaves a womb, before it doesn't. I can give you my own line. How about... Two years old is the line. Right. And what's the problem with that? Well, they'd say, well, everybody would think that's murder. Well, everybody does think that's murder right now. But but, every, but mostly everybody thought abortion was murder also 50 years ago. And there's no actual logical line between two and a fetus. If I'm able to murder a two-year-old, it'll also lead to the parent's pleasure because the parents have to take care of this two-year-old. They don't want him. Two-year-olds are hard to take care of. This kid who the parents want to kill parents are probably crazy that kid's probably going to end up you know might end up a problematic child in which case it's good and what what is the issue with killing somebody so the issue in general with killing somebody we can all agree that there are times when killing is good and times when killing is bad that's why soldiers view you as good but let's well, say not anymore but that's another change in morality right but there are times where we say killing is good and times where, where killing is bad what's stopping us from saying well killing a two-year-old is good or let's say killing a special needs person special needs people are very you know it's it's difficult for the parents it's definitely it's definitely difficult um for society it's it's difficult there, there are certain difficulties involved what is stopping us from allowing that once you don't have an objective thing and you're just basing it on my own feelings there's no actual line where i can say this is right or this is wrong there's just what do we feel today is leads to pleasure and what doesn't and and it becomes incredibly difficult and even pleasure I, I nobody's making their decisions based on everybody else's pleasure they're making it based on what they're told is is feels like a good thing to do um that's why morality changes every every couple of years because um 
everybody has that feeling of right and wrong, but what gets put in that, uh, the variables that are put into that uh, input where it comes out as that feeling could be anything. I'm saying, like I said, in the 1800s, it felt very, very right to shoot somebody who made fun of you. Today, it feels very wrong. What changed? Who knows? Well, what what, what but, changes? But I'll tell you what the opposite. Now, yeah. In the eight, in eighteen hundreds, it probably felt very wrong to kill an unborn baby. Today, it feels very right. So, um, you know, all those things is very hard to just. Well, because we feel that way, uh, must be make it moral. Um, not everybody feels that way in different countries. Different countries feel differently. Different people feel differently. And what's really like sickening is that the the people who hold that you know let's be pro abortion, they, they find it as it's immoral to care about the baby's life. It's immoral to care about the fetus life, fetus's life because you're going against the, the mother's wishes. That's something, and, and they, don't, they don't think about this, but that's something that they've been convinced by the media, by the government, by whoever it is, within the past 10 years. And now not only have they been convinced to the point where they're willing to murder an innocent fetus because of just what they're told, They've actually been convinced to the point where they think that it's evil to consider anything otherwise. Right, and if you ask them a question, well, what's the difference between that and a special needs kid who happened to be born? They couldn't get it. They couldn't kill it before it was born, but it's special needs. All the exact same arguments would apply. Which is why I'm, I'm very, very sure that the, the age upon which you can, you know, murder a kid or a fetus is, is going to be moving up. Because as soon as you take away objective morality and move into this, whatever you feel that can go wherever you want. You know, nobody likes when you bring up the Hitler argument, but they felt that it was best for their country to kill all the Jews. I'll give you a, I'll give you a quicker example. I'm saying Putin's in Russia, they think Putin's correct. We outside in the Western world think he's absolutely wrong. What's the difference? Well, because we're being told in our media that he's wrong, and they're being told in their media that he's correct. Then we're going to be, no, no, I can tell you exactly why he's wrong. And they could also, they'll also say in their head, what do you mean I can tell you exactly why he's correct? Right. And, and let's just take it to another another area, which is also prevalent. So again, male on male. So the, the whole argument of, well, who am I to take away somebody else's pleasure? It's just pleasure. So the exact same arguments and, and every single argument you hear in favor of this can literally be made for animals to have bestiality relation with animals or incest. Why can't a brother and a sister? What do they want to? So all the arguments pertain that they, they love each other. They're, you know, they're, they're both consenting, even though with animals, we don't value consent for majority of things with right. animals you can kill it and eat it but apparently you can't have relations with it right uh you know objectively the animal is getting pleasure in, in general right they they have the same sort of stimulation and even if it's not um, we kill them to eat them right why can't a guy have pleasure from that and and then the lines become very blurred why you know pedophilia well why shouldn't the, the line move down um you know kids are able to have consent for for most forms of their own pleasure why can't they have consent in this form of pleasure well i'll give an example Nowadays, it's very in vogue to think a kid could decide to make life-altering surgeries because of what they think they want, but they can't make a decision to have relations with a older person based on what they think they want. We say, no, no, they're, they're being tricked, but by the you know gender transitioning surgery, they're not being tricked. Right, a 10-year-old is able to decide that uh, they're not a man, they're, uh, they're a woman. But it's even stronger than that. I'm saying a, a college girl, right, 18-year-old, she just turned 18. Now, all of a sudden, it's not pedophilia. Now, let's say in my society, we only allow 25-year-old women to sleep with older men. Why? Because only 25-year-olds could make proper decisions. So now everybody who allowed 18-year-olds are all pedophiles and evil? What they thought that was? What do you mean? You're more mature at 25 than 18? Well, what about 18 to 13? Are you Who made the line that 13-year-old's not mature, 18-year-old is mature? 
So that's a, that's a scary part because without an objective morality, and again, Judeo-Christian values gave the world these kind of objective barometers of uh, we value life, but there are certain actions which we which are bad, um, and then you can you can move forward from there. Once you take out any form of objective morality and base it all based on personal feelings, then personal pleasure will end up overriding everything else. And and it's deeper than that. When I when I'm sitting there having this discussion with this person, this person is not religious. So not only does he not have a mechanism, not only does he not have any proof or evidence for what he thinks to be proper morality, right? He doesn't know that doing these things will cause pleasure for everybody. He doesn't have a logic, logical basis for claiming that that is morality, pleasure for everybody. And on the highest level, he doesn't have a basis for – he doesn't have a system where morality even makes sense because he holds the world was formed randomly. Now, he's yelling at me. And being disgusted at me that I do have a morality. Well, guess where I got my morality from? First of all, I have a logical underpinning for it. I hold there's an Hashem who created all the universe, which means I am at least have a logical basis for assuming there could be a morality. So I actually could use the terms right and wrong. Secondly, I have rational basis for believing that Hashem gave me a specific handbook, which, since Hashem knows the world, knows exactly what will not only cause the most pleasure for the most amount of people, but also be objectively correct for the most amount of people, or objectively correct for everybody. So who's in a stronger standing? The secularist who's just using the whims of the time to de- decide what he thinks is correct? Or the religious person who's for 3,000 years has stood on the same principles with the same rationales, with the same underlying rationales? Why? I not only have a logical basis for believing this to be rational, uh, for, for believing this to be moral, I also have a system of believing that I know the morality that, that God gave us. I have reasons why I believe I've given a Torah. Who's in a stronger standpoint? I can tell you why I believe this. I can tell you for sure. I know why I believe Hashem gave an Atara. I know that if Hashem gave an Atara, that is moral. What are you going to say? I know it feels more pleasurable to me. I know that it makes it moral. You don't. It doesn't make it moral. And you don't know that it's actually more pleasurable for everybody. And you don't know why you shouldn't pick your own pleasure over everybody else's pleasure. And you don't know what is the line of why an 18-year-old could give consent, but a 13-year-old can't. Or that a 13-year-old could give consent for, for transgender surgery, but can't give consent for relations. Or why you could murder a fetus, but you can't murder a, a newborn. Baby. Or you could sleep with a man, but you can't sleep with an animal. You have no idea. The only thing you're running on is the fumes of whatever you've been told. And guess what? If I had the con- if you had this conversation with me 100 years ago, I would have said the same thing. If I had this conversation with you 100 years ago, you would have been arguing the exact opposite things with the exact same bravado and the exact same smugness. Because, again, what was in vogue in the, with, amongst the intellectual elite, the secularists? Eugenics. Eugenics is considered the greatest evil now. And if I would have had a conversation at a party with that eugenics professor, the same guy who was a professor of, of gender studies today, he was a professor of eugenics back then, he would have said the exact opposite things with the exact same scientific studies, and yet it switched in a certain amount of time. My thing, our thing, our shared heritage of this beautiful Jewish tradition and morality has not switched. It has a logical underpinning. It has a logical basis. And it also gives us a clear and unambiguous way to live our lives so that we can say, look ourselves in the mirror and go, I know I am doing the right thing. All right. Thank you very much, Avi, for coming out here and having this conversation. I'm happy I could take the time out of my busy day to accommodate you and teach you some things.